Welcome in and happy Tuesday, everybody. Longhorns sitting at number seven in the country. College football playoff rankings are out tonight. And the Longhorns are sitting pretty at eight and one after a roller coaster of a white knuckle of a gray hair win against the Kansas State Wildcats on Saturday. Uh, dominant performance early. Things got away late, but the Longhorns found a way to win. And that's all that matters. Never apologize for a victory, Mike Craven. Welcome to the weekly broadcast. I understand the pride and tradition of the Texas football program uh, will never be entrusted to the timid or the weak. It is the Eyes on Texas multicast. We are a Republic of we're a product of the Republic of Football on the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Podcast Network, 13 podcasts deep, covering all of the college football in the great state. We're also powered by our presenting partner at Grande Equipment. Also can find us on the Horn in Austin, Horn FM in Austin's YouTube page, on iTunes and Spotify. Uh, I am Aaron Hogan, morning show host at the Horn here in Austin, Texas, have been for 20, 25 years. He is the senior writer at Dave Campbell's Texas Football Magazine, our man Mike Craven, who is back from Mighty Denton, Texas, where he covered the Denton, the North Texas UTSA ball game uh, on Saturday. We'll get some thoughts on that. But Mike, how are you? Another nail biter. This uh, Longhorn team is becoming the the cardiac Longhorns. Uh, I'm sure the the blood pressure medicine of Longhorn Nation is going up out there, having to reorder, restock because this team is finding a way, but they're they're making it tough on themselves. I get to press boxes early. Uh, that North Texas UT UTSA game was a 2 p.m. kick, so was able to watch the first little part of of the Texas game. Uh, they were up big. They were dominated. And I went around. I went on about my day. Set back down a couple hours later to get ready for the game. And all of a sudden, Texas and Kansas State were was in a dogfight. So uh, that's what the Wildcats do. They, they they make it. You know, a four quarter football game. I think there's two ways to look at it, right? I mean, Texas won a game that maybe in the past they would have let slip away. The other way to look at it is they were in complete control of that game, and it was their own mistakes that allowed Kansas State to get back in it. Yeah, uh, a lot of charity for Texas, which we'll talk about. The recap. Uh, we will hear from Sark coming up. Obviously, he had his news conference yesterday uh, recapping the game. There were positives. There were negatives. It was good, bad, and ugly. But the Longhorns get the victory. And you also kind of like for the second time, it's a lot like the Houston game, Mike, where it just felt like for a good stretch, it was totally in control. Next thing you know, you look up and you're in a dogfight. And just like in the in the Texas, in the Houston game, that's when Quinn Ewers got hurt. So now you're with your backup quarterback. And in this case, it's almost like, like the tale of two games for Malik Murphy on the early script, when he got some man coverage and favorable matchups, he was dynamite. When they switched things up, went to that zone defense, he got rattled through some picks. Maybe wasn't like wasn't sure what he was seeing, and that's what bets for all Longhorn fans watching the Eyes on Texas multicast sounds a heck of a lot like our conversations with Quinn Ewers a year ago, Mike. It's just the development of a young quarterback. They haven't been in live fire. We'll hear Sark talking about Malik, his development. Uh, we'll get the obviously the Quinn Ewers update where it stands. There is some positive news on that as the Longhorns head to TCU this week. Uh, but it's going to be a full hour. We do four quarters of conversation. That's the multicast that keeps you on top of all things Texas football. Call it the multicast because we said you can find it on YouTube and watch it. Uh, also, you can listen to it on iTunes and Spotify. And let's start by uh, saying hello to our presenting partners, my buddy Wes Murray and his team at Grande Equipment, bringing you and always presenting uh, both editions each week of the Eyes on Texas multicast. Grande Equipment, our friend and partner, Wes Murray, his team, they understand your reputation is all you have when it comes to a project of any kind, large or small. All that matters is getting it done, getting it done on time. That's why Grande partners with you on every project you have. You know, just earning your business is the beginning of the relationship at Grande. They're going to get you to the finish line, get that project on budget and done. They've operated that way for 31 years. They're not in the equipment business. They're in the relationship business. You need the right piece of equipment for that project, large or small. 
from anything from major construction of a building to freeways down to uh, to something at the deer lease or land, and you need a heavy piece of equipment, they're going to get it to you. Be there ready and job site ready without hassles or uncertainty, and uh, they are the best. I promise you, they're a small, independent company based right here in Central Texas, but they play in the big leagues in a big way. It's Grande Equipment, your international independent dealer. Find them at grandeequipment.com. They present the Eyes on Texas multicast. All right, appreciate Wes Murray and his team so very much. And let's get it going. We break the EOT into four quarters each episode, as we tell you. Uh, Second quarter, we're going to get into the update from Quinn Ewers. I know everybody's eagerly awaiting what Sark's status is. We'll talk about it. Is there a chance he could play on Saturday in in Fort Worth? Also, the issues with Malik Murphy and how to bring him along while getting reps for Arch Manning. I mean, you got to be doing all three at one time, especially, Mike, if if Quinn Ewers is able to come back and get some reps this week. you got to really be careful of of how you, you know – Divvy those up, and uh, uh, it'll be a challenge for, for Sark Lear. I'm talking about that at halftime. We'll get the Longhorns in the NFL update as usual. Plus, we'll celebrate Ricky Williams, who was honored at the game this past Saturday. Uh, third quarter, we'll talk about the Longhorns' next opponent, the TCU Horn Frogs. Revenge game. If you listen to Steve Sarkeesian for the Longhorns, also we'll get a preview of the new college football playoff rankings. Uh, will they change? Will the Longhorns, uh, where will they stand in the big picture of college football, which is where the Longhorns are right now? They're in the conversation. And, of course, our fourth quarter will be the final four big questions from around college football coming out of a tremendous Saturday of impactful matchups and outcomes. I want to start there, Mike, before we go through a recap of the Longhorn 33 to 30 overtime win. Uh, that was, and I'll be honest, I sat on my butt and watched football all day. Uh, I had to work in the morning for a pregame and then we do the in-game watch for my friends at Inside Texas. So I watched every play of the Texas game and analyzed it play by play. Then I sat back and watched Bedlam, sat back and watched uh, LSU, Alabama, uh, the USC Cal game. It was just a riveting day of college football. It's what, if you're like you, a lifelong college football fan, you grew up around the game. Uh, it's what it's all about. I mean, uh, it was tremendous. The finishes, hard, it's hard, hard to say what was the best finish, what was the best game. Probably it was right here in Austin. But, man, it had, it had challengers all over the country on Saturday. For sure. And it's always interesting being a writer, especially kind of a beat writer who's at a game every single week, because you intake college football almost in retrospect. You, you kind of look back on it after it's done dig into the numbers, watch highlights, watch the the game recaps the next day. In my case, watching the full like Texas game, the, ne- the Texas A&M game on Sunday. Because if you're at the games, you're that's the game you're watching, right? I mean, you get to a press box two or three hours before the game starts. The game lasts three or four hours. You have two or three hours of work afterwards, and then you probably have to drive somewhere. And so uh, you don't get to sit there on the couch and kind of watch all the games and watch all the finishes. Uh, but, you know, it did sound like a really good week 10. It was. I mean, it was uh, a lot of fun. I will admit to some, you know, saddle sores maybe from the couch and the chair, but uh, it was worth every bit because it was fantastic uh, watching college football all day long, including the Longhorns, which was, as we say, a blood pressure raising um, roller coaster ride of a football game, which I guess we just accept that's what these Longhorns are. Let's go through it, Mike. Uh, Started out like a house of fire. Longhorns came out and I thought, uh, curiously, Kansas State, who, you know, my guy Rod Babers, who I do the morning show with here in Austin, said all week that K-State plays more man coverage than most teams Texas will play. They play that three high, you know, three safety defense, but they also play a lot of man coverage. But we had talked like there's no way they're going to try to man up on Texas. That's just a recipe for disaster uh, with Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell and the speed advantage. And, well, they did. And Texas came out on fire. Let's get uh, this highlight, Nolan, our digital producer, Nolan Hogan. You see him there. He was at the game on Saturday, so we'll get his thoughts about the crowd and what we saw from it. But uh, let's hear and uh, see this from Fox on Saturday. This is how they came out. A.D. Mitchell getting behind that K-State defense. Longhorn started out with a bang. 
football. C.J. Baxter in. Here's Murphy. Lobbing it deep. Murphy! Caught! Touchdown! Mitchell! All right, so there it is. The touchdown. Dropped it in the bucket. And, of course, got behind the defense. He had another big play on another drive. Longhorns take a 7-0 lead. They went up 10-0. Then they went up 17-0 uh, on a play we have, too, to show you uh, in the recap, Nolan. Uh, C.J. Baxter. This was a smart play. I really liked what Sark did. Uh, they were at midfield. They were going forward on fourth down, up 10, and uh, got into the tight formation like they were going to do the whole tush-push thing, Mike, and uh, you know do the quarterback sneak. Instead, it was a pitch play to C.J. Baxter out the outside, got some good blocks from his tight ends. He had to beat one guy, and it was a house call for the freshman for Orlando. Looks like they're going to go with the little option, and it's a first down for Baxter and more. Burst of speed. C.J. Baxter touchdown. Texas, 54 yards off fourth down. All right, so at that point with Gus Johnson on Fox Saturday, Mike, you're thinking, man, this thing is, uh, Texas is dominating. And then they had a couple chances before the half to go again. Uh, they were moving the ball, uh, moving the ball into, into uh, K-State territory. They were racking up yards. There was a big, like, 20-yard end around for Xavier Worthy. But then Malik Murphy, Mike, made the, the first big mistake. He tried to throw into coverage, tried to get John Jonte Cook on a corner route, it looked like, and uh, – Jonte fell down coming out of his route, uh, but really it was, I don't know if it was going to be open, if he, even if it was there. I think he mid -rest, misread the coverage, thought he was getting man defense again and didn't. And really, if you look at his numbers from that interception, Mike, for the rest of the game, Malik Murphy really struggled. He went into a bit of a tailspin, which led to K-State coming back because it was 17-0 at the time. But that was a big moment in the game when, when Malik threw that first interception as young quarterback. I think it uh, discombobulated him a little bit that he didn't uh, read it right and made that mistake. Yeah, I mean, momentum's real, right? I mean, a lot of people try to to act like it's not. When you're playing in front of 100,000 people in a, in a game that big, only your second start, you know the the, the microscope's on you. It just takes one, one bad play. And you know, I, I think one of the things I've always heard just covering football is the first and the third quarter on the coaches and the second and fourth quarter are about the players, right? Like you can scheme your way through the first quarter and then you get into halftime and you can help adjust your way through the third quarter. And Texas was really good there. They were 20 to seven. I think Sark schemed them up. They came up with a great game plan. Now I felt like Sark out coach climbing a lot, especially early in the game when they were up 27 to seven. But as adjustments are as as those adjustments wear off and it just becomes your guys playing against their guys, you know, Texas made some mistakes and they struggled in the second or fourth quarter. And, and that's going to happen with a young quarterback. He's not going to be great the whole time. You're going to be able to figure it out, figure out the tricks that Sark's pulling, what they're trying to do. You start taking those things away and, and they start seeing some stuff that's not there. And um, you're right. I think I think the point you made early on was, it was the exact correct one. It looked a lot like when you were last year. I think it just goes to show those are the normal growing pains of a young quarterback. Yeah. Uh, you know, people talk about, well, you know, he's not the answer. Well, he's really all you got right now. We'll talk about that more in depth in our second quarter with Quinn and uh, Sark talking about Quinn when he could be back in Malik. Uh, but to finish off the recap, it's 17 nothing at that interception. But the Texas defense bowed up like they did most of the game and got a stop. They got the punt. They got the ball again. They went back down. Looked like they're going to have a chance to score, but they end up punt again. And on that punt, they got blocked. Uh, blocked punt. And that was the big momentum shift. That's why I say it was kind of like the Houston game, Mike. That fake field goal Texas ran at the end of the half against Houston gave the Cougars life. And we know what happened in that game, went to the wire. This game, it was a blocked punt. And Jeff Banks' special teams have been so good. They get the punt blocked. Next thing you know, K-State's in the end zone on a short field. I only had to go about 25, 30 yards right into the end zone. They hadn't moved the ball at all in the first half. Instead, it's 17-7 at the half. 
and uh, just a critical mistake by the Texas team. And it was one of those games where it felt like they should have been up, you know, 28 points or 24 points. Instead, it's a 10-point game. And we knew K-State was getting the ball coming out of half. And this is where I say the roller coaster ride because, okay, all Longhorn fans remember the Houston game, this thing, and Malik looked like he was struggling a little bit at the end of the half in the two-minute drill, uh, was off with his passes. And uh, next thing you know, they come out and you're thinking, okay, they're going to, you know, if they go down and score here, it's a, it's a one-possession game. Well, Texas forces back-to-back turnovers. Michael Taft, the uh, ball hawk out of Westlake, continues to make plays. He gets the interception on the tip drill. Longhorns didn't do anything with the ball there, but they then punted. Brian Sanborn doing a great job on the punt team. Punts it back down to the, inside the five-yard line, and the Longhorns make one of the plays of the game. Ethan Burke, let me give some love to Ethan Burke, Mike. He was uh, we were, It was reported by our friends at Inside Texas. He had a procedure on his knee two weeks ago after the Houston game. A little scope job to clean some things up, and here he was back out there in this game having two and a half sacks, making an impact in this play uh, that really changed the game in the third quarter. First down and 10 of the 18. Howard in trouble. Lost the ball, but somehow falls on it. Ethan Burke with the pressure. And it's 257 pounds. We've seen it a couple of times. Had a sack earlier in this game. This one right to the ball. All right, so there you go. There's Ethan Burke, the strip. I'm still not sure why that review took so long. We will hear Sark talking about the officials that they're dealing with. That, that review took way too long. Uh, it was uh, so obvious, even on the real time, that uh, Will Howard lost that ball while standing as Ethan Burke swiped it uh, and then never got back on it, and Jalen Ford recovered it. But uh, everybody in the building, everybody watching, was thinking, oh, man, we're about to get hosed on this deal. But it turned out to be a big play. The Longhorns get the ball. They score on a Jonathan Brooks touchdown run. From the red zone, Mike, from the five-yard line into the house. And it's 27-7. At that point, you're thinking, okay, uh, they weathered that early third quarter storm, as you talked about. Uh, you're back up 20, and this thing is in good shape. Uh, but what do you know? Here comes K-State. They pretty much at this point, Mike, we're talking about a top 10 rushing team in the in the nation and, and the number one rushing team in the Big 12. They simply abandoned the run in the uh, in the third quarter and just started dropping up, going empty and throwing the ball, which is maybe they should have done sooner. And they moved down the field and scored a touchdown at the end of the uh, the third quarter. Last play of the third quarter, they get a touchdown on a 26-yard catch and run. Longhorns missed a couple tackles. Uh, that made it 27-14. Uh, then next play, next series, essentially, they run a screen pass, something safe from Malik Murphy, and he makes the throw you can't make, Mike, where you, you don't see it. You can't find Jonathan Brooks, who's supposed to be your screen guy. Uh, he obviously got caught up in traffic, and he just threw the ball up and turned into an easy interception. It was almost a pick six. Uh, and all Longhorn fans thinking, oh, my gosh, they score the touchdown. It's 27-21. Then Jonathan Brooks on the ensuing, you know, snap fumbles, uh, trying to fight for extra yards. They score again. And all of a sudden, only because of a missed extra point, it's 27 all, not 28-27, Mike. They scored three touchdowns in a span of eight plays from the end of the third quarter to early on fourth quarter. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, the Longhorns are melting down in this football game. Yeah, it's a common theme throughout the season. You know, Texas has been better than I would say every single team on on the schedule. You know, Alabama's you know a 50-50 game. Oklahoma's got a lot of talent, but in the games that have given Texas problems, you talked about the Houston game, you talked about Oklahoma um, this week against Kansas State. It's been self-inflicted wounds. Texas was the better team. We talked about it last week going into the game. Like Texas has better players. There's no reason Kansas State should have been on that football field. It was twenty-seven to seven with. I think like 314 left in the third quarter. They had really dominated uh, the first, you know, 40 minutes of that football game, 45 minutes of that football game. Uh, and then it all comes crum crumbling down because of mistakes. And uh, yeah. I don't know if, if you need to avoid that with play calling, how Sark could have uh, uh, could have helped with some of that. But once it started snowballing, uh, it really went downhill fast for sure.
Well, and this is what you like about the competitive toughness of this team, the, uh, the football character, because they didn't buckle. And it wasn't pretty. Malik Murphy did take them on a 12-play drive. And uh, I think this is one of the places where the officials kind of hosed Texas. There was a holding on a, a Xavier Worthy who was going to run the post-corner route and it looked like it was going to be open, got held. They didn't call it. And Longhorns had to settle for a field goal on that drive. But on that drive, Malik Murphy made a bunch of throws, mostly to Donnie Mitchell, who's really becoming his favorite target in that spot. Uh, they get the, get the go-ahead field goal. Then, obviously, you know, K-State comes back down. They miss a go-ahead field goal, Mike, somehow from 30 yards, coming essentially an extra point. Uh, but that left – there were still – Longhorns had to run the clock and use, use K-State, force K-State to use their timeouts. K-State came back down, made the game winner to tie the game, send it to overtime. Uh, and in overtime, the Longhorns didn't move the ball. Uh, they went three and out and kicked a field goal. They take the 33-30 lead. And then the question that everybody will have at K-State, Mike, uh, Ben Sinnott, the, uh, the H-back tight end, gets loose for 19 yards on first down. They have first and goal at the six. The Longhorn defense rose up and made four stops. And Chris Kleiman, going for it on fourth down, said, I never thought twice about it. We were going to try to get the win right there. And can we see the play, Nolan, that uh, that sealed the deal? Four straight stops from the six-yard line, uh, the, the next of which looked like it was supposed to be to Ben Sennett, uh, a, little, a little out route. And Ryan Watts showed man coverage but jumped into zone and took it away. The Longhorns get the stop. Here's how it looked and sounded on Fox. Empty backfield. Howard looking. Howard scrambles. Howard lets it go. Incomplete. And Texas survives. All right, so that's how it ended. Pandemonium in the building. Nolan, you were there at the stadium. What was that like when that fourth down stop ended the roller coaster ride and the Longhorns had gotten their eighth W of the year? Uh, I mean, everyone's initial reaction when Kansas came out on that fourth down is they're going for it. And yes. Because I, everyone, I from everyone's point of view and around me, if we kept going back and forth, Texas wasn't winning that game. I didn't think, and I, so I thought I thought it was a crazy move to go for it. And when when they came back out, I thought it was a wild move. Everyone was anticipating a field goal, and we secure the win on a on a crazy stop. Uh, Byron Murphy said, "No, sir, we're not letting you even throw the ball. We're going to swarm you." We didn't even blitz, and we're going to get you pressured. And uh, they sealed the deal, and everyone went nuts. It was pandemonium in the stadium. I think the the student section played a huge role in the game. They never left the – they never came out of the fight. They knew we were in it the whole time. And uh, that, I think that really did play a factor as the stadium atmosphere. Very cool. Yeah, Mike, uh, your thoughts as a coach. I mean, I'm with Nolan on that. I was – what is he doing? I mean, he's got the long ones right where he wants them. They're not good in the red zone. You know, you, if, if you kick the field goal, make it 33-30, you get the ball back in the second overtime and get another set of downs to try to go win this thing. Texas has shown no ability to score in the red zone, and you've been pretty much dominating the last eight minutes of the game, or at least in control. What did you make of the move of uh, Chris Kleiman, the reigning coach of the year in the Big 12, the Big 12 champs, to go for it? Yeah, I thought it was a pretty interesting call. I thought a couple of the calls late in that series were, were kind of weird. You know, he motioned to, <clears throat> motions out a running back and, and makes it a light box and then runs right at Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy at, at one point there as well. Uh, I get it. You you probably feel as a coach it's going to come down to a two-point conversion play. You're probably not going to stop Texas two times in a row. Yeah. You're going to get the ball first, so you need to go a score a touchdown, and then you don't know what Texas is doing after you. If you kick a field goal, a touchdown for them wins it. If you get a touchdown and then they end up going for two, you don't have much of a choice in the matter that way as well. So it felt like for Kleiman, I think if he was to explain it, I think it was one of those, we have the ball, we like our guys, this is our chance to go win the football game on the road. I can understand not agreeing with that. I don't think I would have done that. 
I think that was his kind of point of view. Agreed. Agreed. I think that's what he said. And uh, I, I think he's wrong. But again, that's what we do. We second guess people. But at the same time, uh, give Ryan Watts a lot of credit. Let's hear Sark with his initial overview of the game after rewatch, things he liked and things they have to clean up from the uh, news conference yesterday. Looking back at it, uh, there were some positives, but there's also self-inflicted wounds that they have to clean up. Steve Sarkeesian after the, the uh, win over. Going back and watching the tape, I was thoroughly impressed with the physicality in which we played that game. Um, and we knew going up against that physical of an opponent, uh, their ability to run the football, their ability to stop the run uh, was going to be a huge component to the game. And for us to come out and rush for, uh, I think, a little over 230 yards against the top rush defense in our league and then to turn around and hold them to 33 yards rushing, I think had a huge impact on the game. And I would say for our team, we really played good football the majority of the game. And uh, the, the hard part to, to, to look at when you watch the game and then you see the momentum swings in the game, um, you know, the three turnovers, the block punt, the turnover on downs, that's basically five times we gave them the ball. Um, and four of those five were with a short field. And, and that, that, that created momentum. And then two of the touchdowns they score, um, the first one there, um, we have two missed tackles by very reliable players, that which was uncharacteristic. Uh, and then on the sudden change after the turnover, the post for the touchdown where we, where we blow the coverage, which again, uncharacteristics. Kind of those seven plays, when you think about football, kind of all of a sudden the mentality is that's how the game went. When in reality, the majority of those other plays, we played really good football. Um, and so the key for us is to minimize these self-inflicted wounds, um, which can which can ultimately change the game. Because you know, when, when you think about, they scored 20 points in four plays. And I think in about two and a half minutes came off the clock, right? It was, and, and how quickly that game turned and changed that way. So uh, I, I do think there was a lot of positives in the game. Uh, I thought our defensive line was absolutely dominant in the game. Um, and it was really across the board from, you know, I think we we're all pretty clear of what Sweat and Murphy are doing inside. But Ethan. All right, so there you go. Uh, Self-inflicted wounds, uh, Mike. And now you go on the road back-to-back -back weeks. We'll talk about in our third quarter. The next test at TCU is not a great team by any stretch. They're under 500, but kind of a trap game because it becomes their Super Bowl. They've got to cut down the mistakes, uh, especially the ones that you can avoid. In addition to the turnovers and the block punt, Mike, they had 10 penalties. Uh, gosh, it got to be six or seven of them were pre-snap uh, motions that set them back with a backup quarterback against a good defense. You can't do that. They kept doing it over and over again. Uh, you know, they got to get in sync because I think as you just heard Sark say we haven't we're eight and one. We're number seven in the country, sitting atop the Big 12, but we haven't played our best football yet, which is a positive. But at the same time, you kind of are becoming what you are. You're, you're kind of mistake prone in big spots. Yeah, I mean, what is your best football? You know, after nine yeah. games, right? Like, if, if you haven't gotten there yet, when are you going to? You know, but we've talked about this. I, you know, since we started this podcast, there's there's nobody, and it's really true with the last three games. There's nobody left on this schedule that can play with Texas as long as Texas doesn't do dumb stuff. If they tackle, if they hold on to the football. If they avoid penalties, they're going to win these games by double digits. You know, the, the trip to Iowa against Iowa State's always weird, especially if that's a night game and, and weather. Um, but, you know, it's Sark's job to kind of mitigate uh, the turnovers to keep Malik from, from kind of hurting himself or getting in situations that maybe aren't comfortable uh, for him. You know, Jonathan Brooks has been pretty reliable. Sometimes you fumble the football. 
but Texas showed in that first 40 minutes that they were outstanding and Kansas state was the toughest team left on their schedule. This is a really good football team that can go do all the things we've talked about all year. They just have to stay out of their own way while they're doing it. Yeah. Uh, and again, I, I tweeted this on, on the X or whatever you do now. Uh, they're not great. I mean, a great team finishes games, a great team, and there may not be a great team in the country this year. I don't know. It might be Michigan because everybody, everybody signs apparently, uh, but they're great, right? They're blowing people out. They're leaving no doubt. Georgia had a tough game with Tuss Tussle with Missouri last week. Uh, there's not a great team this year doesn't appear, but they're really, really good. Uh, they're just flawed at places, especially with a backup quarterback, uh, which means you can't get punts blocked. You can't fumble the ball for Jonathan Brooks. You can't have all these pre, pre-snap penalties. Let's also play this from Sark, because I think one thing we haven't mentioned, Longhorn started this game without Christian Jones at right tackle. He got hurt in practice during the week and didn't play. So Cam Williams, the young guy out of Duncanville, got his first career start in the game. Kelvin Banks left the game for a stretch with a little injury uh, there in the second half. And he, you know, so you're running with, with really a slim line, and they still found a way to win this game. Let's hear Sark. Uh, no, let's move to number five, which is a 15-11. Um, we're going to skip the one I, I had there at number two. Let's go to number five on our cut rundown. Because this is interesting because here's Sark defending his quarterback. Well, there's so much talk about Malik, and Malik did rally and give you the lead with a drive in the in the fourth quarter. Um, perspective on the win through all the, the adversity to, to, to beat a good team who are the reigning uh, Big 12 champs, 33-30. Uh, to 30. Here's Sark. I know we're making a lot about Malik. We just went and beat a top 25 team that's the number one defense in our conference um, and had almost 500 yards offense and scored 33 points with our backup quarterback, with our backup right tackle in the game. When our starting left tackle went out and we had to move our starting left guard to left tackle. So just look at that from a, from that perspective and think about some of the stuff we've had to go through defensively you know we, we didn't have two safeties last game with Catalan and Crawford out you know Ethan Burke's coming back off an injury you know Jade was down there for a minute Ryan Watts was out for a minute but we're, we have enough depth on our team to put guys in position and they can play you know good football for us to, to overcome so that versatility to compare to other teams, I don't know, but the one thing I can't compare it to is that we have depth similar to some of those other teams to where when guys go out, the next guy in is more than capable of performing at a high level. All right, Mike, any thoughts on that or just uh, what it is? They, they, they found a way, and that's really you know, the resiliency of this team more than we've seen. It, you know, it's the most talented team since 09. I think that's fair to say now, but also they have high football character to find ways to win games despite mistakes. Yeah, it's what I said at the very beginning of the show. There's there's two ways to look at it. And I think they're both correct. I think they're both they're both ones that we need to talk about. Texas did shoot themselves in the foot and make this a much tougher game than it had to be. But also, that's the type of game that Texas loses for much of the last decade plus, right? Definitely the roster that Sark took over that was blowing second half leads, that were blowing fourth quarter leads even into last year. And so it is a good sign that you can do this with your backup quarterback your backup right tackle, as he said, uh, with some injuries around. And everybody's going through some stuff, right? Everybody's going through injuries. And that's what's hard about this gauntlet. That's what's cool about the four-team playoff format. You don't get much of a reprieve. Next year with a 12-team playoff, they could lose one more game and still have a, a good chance of getting in there. They have to just win. They don't need style points. Unless four t- conferences finish with four undefeated champions, which I, I doubt happens, right? Like teams are going to lose over this next couple of weeks, the Longhorns are going to get into the college football playoff. They just need to to win out, uh, play impressively, uh, and get to the end unscathed, and, and they're going to be in in the conversations they want to be in. Agreed, hundred uh, percent. Last thing we want to play with you is Sark recapping the game, thirty three to thirty. Texas wins it, moved to eight and one. 
here on the Eyes on Texas multicast in our first quarter. Let's hear his thoughts on the fourth fourth down play. And I think in this, Nolan, when you play it, we hear him talk about Ryan Watts and just how big a play it was. I mean, uh, and I would also say this, and my partner Rod Babers pointed this out. You know, Rod Babers talked about games where he gave up a big play and didn't play his best, but still had to find it to make a, the, the play to win the game. Uh, he cited a game when he was playing against Oklahoma State where he gave up a couple deep balls and then ended up making a huge play to win the game. Ryan Watts, you know, he gave up uh, the touchdown at the end of the third quarter where he should have made a tackle or pushed the guy out of bounds, Phillip Brooks. He didn't. He got beat over the top a time or two. He didn't play his best game, but in the biggest moment he did, here's Sark on that fourth down defensive stand. It's the second time this year against Houston and now K-State. They've won the game essentially on the final. It was, first of all, really good disguise by Ryan Watts. Because if you, his alignment, his stance, his body language, his demeanor looks like he's playing man coverage on the receiver. But then there was that subtle communication with Jaron Thompson about if he goes inside, he's yours. I'm going to take the first man out. And the same thing kind of happens. Howard raises up to throw to the tight end. And there's Ryan Watts now sitting there taking the tight end away. He's got to double clutch the ball. Murphy has a great rush. Here comes Sorrell. He's on the ground and the game's over. So it's tying, you know, playing team defense is tying it all together. Providing a really good pass rush, again, means playing really good in coverage. And so those two things working on the same accord, uh, that's, that's how the pass rush comes to life. That's how tight coverage comes to life, those two things working together. All right, Mike, that'll wrap up our first quarter. Steve Sarkeesian's team wins with some guts and some grittiness, but some ugliness too. Kind of a good, bad, and ugly win. But as we said to start the quarter, never apologize for a win when you're sitting in the top 10 in the country. Survive and advance. Longhorns did that. All right, in our uh, second quarter, we'll come back talk about Quinn Ewers, the latest. Uh, it is a positive note on Quinn. Also, Malik Murphy and how to continue to evolve him and the quarterback spot, plus some other second quarter conversations. Our first quarter brought to you by the Texas Mortgage Guy, my man Carlos Carrion, great friend. He was our first ever partner on the Eyes on Texas Multicast, wanted to be a part of it when he heard we were doing it. And uh, let me tell you a little bit more about Carlos Carrion. With Carlos Carrion, he is the Texas Mortgage Guy. Why not do a new refi for your home or a new mortgage for your home? Change your life. It's always better to work with an expert in the field who also is a diehard Longhorn fan like you. Lifelong Austinite knows this market like the back of his hand. Just makes sense to work with someone who you're going to trust. You just heard Sark talking about that. So much better to work with like-minded people. Know their business, know the lay of the land. He's been uh, going on 10 years in the uh, industry now. Uh, he's not there to just help you provide a quote when kind of navigate these complicated waters of refinances and uh, mortgages. He's your guide to help solve problems, strategize, like you just heard Sark talking about, one of the most important financial decisions of your life. He's a great communicator, fast response times, not going to leave you out there waiting for days and days and days at a time. He'll be right back to you. He is Carlos Carrion. That's C-A-R-R-E-O-N. Carlos Carrion, the... TexasMortgageGuy.com. That's the TexasMortgageGuy.com. Get after him uh, this fall. As it cools off, might be the time to start looking. Put your house on the market. Maybe look for that next house. Carlos is your man. All right. Appreciate Carlos carry on. This second quarter, we launch it. It's brought to you by our friends at uh, Brain Vault and the Brain Vault Technology. My dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert. You see this wonderful smile? I mean, I don't know if you can see it. It's kind of dark in here. But uh, on our Zoom, we're still not back in our Horn headquarters studios. We'll be back there hopefully very, very soon, but still doing it on the Zoom chat, uh, which works just fine to recap. But, yeah, you can see the smile. Restored, Dr. Eckert, but also working with the Brain Vault technology, which we'll tell you about uh, research-based, proven science. Uh, play hard, but play safe with the Brain Vault mouth guard. You can get fitted at BrainVault.com. All right, Mike, uh, let's, let's hear Sark, and then we'll talk about it. But to start the quarter, uh, Sark talking about Quinn Ewers. 
Uh, he gave an update and uh, on Malik Murphy and his struggles in the second half. I think this one ties together, and we'll pick up the conversation about the quarterbacks as the Longhorns with three to go. Uh, Quinn, uh, like I said, he, he started to throw a little bit last week. Um, he threw again today. Um, to me, it's more day-to-day -day at this point, you know, where a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, it was kind of week-to-week. Uh, today's more day-to-day, -day, um, and I got it. you know, I have to continue to see how he feels. You know, ultimately, this is a... How does he feel? You know, I, I can't, you know, the, he, the doctors, what does it feel like? Where is he at? Um, I can give my assessment on the capability to operate our offense, but ultimately, how does he feel? And so we'll navigate this week. Um, I think Malik came back and had a really good practice today. Like I said, I was, I was very proud of Malik uh, in the response that he had on the drive in that fourth quarter to, to get us down to, to kick that field goal with some, some really big throws to AD, a really critical fourth down conversion to, to JT Sanders. Uh, and like I said, I, I think he was throwing a touchdown to Xavier on the third down there in the red area. Uh, we didn't get we didn't get the pass interference or defensive holding call. We settled for the field goal. But that was a really critical drive in that game to, to take a three-point lead. So I think his response in-game uh, was pretty good. Um, but I think today was was, was even better in, he, in his ability to come out and throw the ball and have command. So, um, you know, positives on that. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I really – I don't think anybody knew what to expect, Mike, when it was 27 all and all of a sudden the 20-point lead is gone in about five minutes. And now you got to go move the ball. And uh, it's a game. And that was a 12-play drive. He completed five of eight passes on that drive. I agree with Sark. It should have been holding on the Xavier Worthy out route, but didn't get it. But that was a there was some 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 football DNA in that drive that they they buckled up and they were able to move the football, quiet things down, and take the lead. Malik's a good football player. You know, he he can move the football. I mean, we've seen it early, we've seen it late in games. Um, and it's just hard to do it for four quarters, right? And I think once the reads get simpler and once he knows what the defense is doing, it opens up for him. And sometimes two-minute offense, four-minute offense, late-game situations like that kind of simplify defenses because they don't want to give up the big play. That makes the reads a lot simpler. It makes it look more like practice. You're more comfortable. And all of a sudden, you can let it rip and just let your talent go. What do you make of the Arch thought – or excuse me, Arch, the Quinn Ewers thought that he's now listed as day-to-day, -day, not week-to-week, -week, which means he's throwing. It's going to be about um, – you know, where he's at, any any thought, anything you're hearing about Quinn yours that when we may see him back or if we may see him back at some point? They're hoping Iowa State, right? If everything goes well and he can handle the pain and there's nothing structurally damaged there, he throws throughout this week. I mean, TCU would be too soon. Uh, but if he could start the road game against Iowa State, I think that would be a great sign. I think it's more likely that it's Texas Tech or even maybe a Big 12 championship game. All right, well, we'll keep an eye on that day-to-day -day now, not week-to-week. But still not ready to go, and they, you know, he's he's a professional player down the road. There's going to be some care taken to that right arm, uh, and rightfully so, rightfully so, uh, with the Longhorns. They found a way to win BYU. They found a way to win K State, and now it's back-to-back -back road trips. We'll talk about coming up in our third quarter. I uh, wanted to hear Sark talking about Malik. You just said he's a good football player, uh, but um, you know, here's Sark, here's Sark as a quarterback himself talking about for fans and you uh, viewers of our uh, weekly viewers of the Eyes on Texas multicast. You know, there there's challenges. So you're, you're you're going from not racing in the car to being in the car and driving the car. If you want to take that, the fighter pilot is, you know, and there's only one way to learn it. It's live reps. It's, it's dog fights, you know, and uh, here's Sark talking about from a quarterback perspective, you can only teach so much in practice. You know, in practice, you, you know, like we talked about last week about 
you know, the guys rush the quarterback and the quarterbacks aren't allowed to be hit. And so they, they pull off. And so sometimes you think, oh, that's just how the game goes until you realize a guy's putting his helmet in your chest as you're, as you're trying to throw the ball. So you realize, okay, they are actually going to hit me now. Uh, and two, there's not as many consequences in practice. You know, you can have some of those consequences in scrimmages, uh, but you don't get to have the consequences in practice when you throw an interception, when you force a ball, um, because you're going through the script of practice and you've got to get certain plays repped and done. In game, you throw that interception, A, you're off the field, you know, B, they get the ball on your eight-yard line or whatever it is, and they score a touchdown. Like, it impacts everybody. And so sometimes you have to have the, the real-life experience. You have to have some of those growing pains to, to understand the value of those types of plays. Uh, and they're the least sexiest plays for a quarterback. It, it is a tough thing to do. The, one of the hardest plays a quarterback ever has to make is throwing a ball away. Um, because you think competitively, there's always a throw that I can make. But quite frankly, the most competitive play a lot of times you can make is throwing that away when you're competing for your team and the impact that it has for your team and earning the right to punt and let your defense go play defense and things of that nature. So it's a, it's a big challenge. Um, it's a big challenge to coach. It's a big challenge for the player to understand the value in that. And like I said, I think sometimes you, you have to have real life experience to, to understand the significance of that play and the consequence of that play when when you make it and so hopefully um, like I said I think that he, that he learns from that uh, and and we, we don't you know the, the sign of a really good player is that they don't make the same mistakes twice and that they learn from those things and I think you know Malik's a very conscientious young man and uh, I think that he'll definitely learn from that all right there's Sark on quarterback and you know, I think you and I understand that Mike I think most fans do but obviously those that are and they're saber rattling about on, on social media about arch time and uh, we can't win with this quarterback. Got to understand uh, the, the more reps he gets, the more live reps he gets, the better he's going to get. And the fact that they've won these games, you know, and survived is actually huge because he should be even more, they've been that much more improved uh, coming up. We've talked about it a couple times already on the, the this episode that this is like Quinn yours last year. You just got to take some of the good with the bad. Uh, it's like a teenager, right? I got my son right there. Sometimes he did things and you're like, oh, man, that guy's unbelievable. And then you're like, what? You did what? <laughs> what in the world were you thinking? Uh, but that's the, the challenge of a young quarterback, that uh, they, they make some good, but they also make some really uh, questionable calls just because they're not experienced enough in those, in those times. And that's what, that's what ends up happening. It's also the challenge of coaching a young quarterback. And it's what I meant earlier by, you know, the first and third quarter can be about the coach where the second and fourth player, fourth quarter can be about the player. You have all week to scheme up that first quarter and those first drives and to only put Malik in situations that he can excel in that you've seen him excel in on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. But eventually Kansas state figures those things out, starts populating those spaces, makes you do some other stuff. And now there's those consequences that Sark was talking about. You make a couple of bad throws. You see a couple of things maybe you haven't seen before. A defensive tackle buries you uh, into the ground and all of a sudden it becomes real. And then you go into halftime and you figure that stuff out and you, you sit them down and you calm them down. And then Texas comes out, plays pretty good early in the third quarter. And then it kind of fades away as Kansas state adjusts to the adjustments. And so I think there's, there's starting to be kind of a book on Malik, you know, a lot like the, the uh, criticism against Ewers, he hasn't been very good down the field. He was two of nine 
on throws 20 yards or further down the field. He was three of six on, on, on 10 or further. And so they're having to throw a lot, you know, 22 of his 37 passes were 10 yards or fewer from the line of scrimmage. And a lot of those are in between the hash marks. He hasn't thrown the ball very much outside. He was four of 10 on throws outside the hash mark. So the, the field is getting condensed on Texas. That's making it hard for Sark and it's making it hard to have sustained success drive after drive after drive in a way when you can vary it up, you know, when you have a quarterback like Quinn Ewers, who's mastered the offense a little bit more. And like you said, has been in those dogfights. Yeah. Which again, when you go on the road, you got to carry your defense, you got to carry your run game. And there's just going to be times you're going to have to run the ball. And Sark, I think sometimes a quarterback thinks like a quarterback, he wants to be able to throw, especially if there's a, you know, if they're playing a coverage that you like and you can see it from the sidelines, you're like, let's, let's take advantage of this. They can't cover us, but at the same time, you got to make the smart play too, uh, to, to help your young quarterback uh, in those spots. Uh, speaking of that defense, I wanted to play this too to shine some light uh, on the eyes on Texas multicast of uh, those defensive tackles because they don't get a lot of love. But Tavondre Sweat, highest graded defensive tackle in the country according to Pro Football Focus, over 90 for the season. He was almost he was like 88 for this game. Uh, and then next to him, Byron Murphy. They have a special bond. They were huge uh, in holding the number one rushing team in the Big 12. If you take away the sack yardage, Mike, 31 rushing yards to K-State. I mean, when was the last time Texas was able to man up physically like that, player to player? And it starts with those two guys, keeping Jalen Ford clean. Here's Sark when asked, uh, he was asked about, do you have guys you can compare him to that you've had before, uh, but also just the impact these guys are having on this Texas team. When I was at Washington, was a young man by the name of Danny Shelton, uh, who's a really good player, uh, big physical kind of nose tackle body type. Uh, and then when I was at USC, we had Leonard Williams, and and Leonard was was probably not not as big as Sweat, but but had the ability to get on an edge and and play really well against the run. And you know, anytime defensive tackles have multiple tackles in a game. That's saying something, you know, because a lot of times they're taking on double teams. A lot of times they're eating up blockers for linebackers. But when defensive tackles come out of games with four, five, six, seven tackles, those are impactful plays. And Leonard used to do that. I mean, he used to get a lot of tackles. And so the amount of tackles that Sweat makes in a game is, is really, really impressive. Uh, his ability to finish on the ball carrier, um, where, where a lot of times you just don't see that number from defensive tackles. So that, that part's been been definitely impressive it is impressive Mike you've covered Texas football and grew up around it can you remember you know when was the last time when Texas had a combo this dominant was it Rodgers and and uh, Casey Hampton back in the 90s or where, where do you where, where do would you rank this group of all-time defensive tackle duos at Texas yeah I mean it's got to be up there with those guys maybe Roy Dibble or Roy uh, Roy Miller Larry Dibble kind of in those kind of national championship days with with Vince Young and stuff like that they had some pretty good defensive tackles those two were excellent you know and Tavondre Sweat believe it or not I mean it, it's easy to look at him and think of him as a defensive tackle he was a pass rushing big defensive big body defensive end his days in Huntsville like I was at a game one time where he had six sacks in one game like he he can move around he's athletic he he uh he kind of outgrew that position, but you know, he is a dancing bear in a way, right? He's more athletic than his body size uh, would suggest. And to Sark's point, the dude had four tackles and that's, you know, that's not a position of production. That's a, that's a position of disruption and he's able to do both of those. And I think it's safe to say Texas does not win this game without Devondre sweat. They absolutely don't win this game uh, without both of those guys. They were, they were incredible, unbelievable and, and impactful in a way that interior defensive linemen rarely are. Yeah. I mean, uh, several times, I mean, think on the four tackles, 
the ball carrier would get the ball and he'd be standing there waiting for me to shed a block or a double team and just waiting for him like Godzilla or something and wrap him up. And that uh, tip, really that tip that was tip. huge. Yeah, he wanted a pick. He thought he was going to get himself a pick <laughs> on that. Yeah. From your days covering recruiting, uh, that out of Huntsville, he was a, a pass rusher. He is. He's making himself a lot of money. I think there's a lot of people on the NFL side of things looking at him now as maybe a first-round pick. Uh, you just can't coach three, 340 uh, and the, the ability to move like that. And the motor, like he he, play, he brings it every play. Mm-hmm. He's really benefited from this this coming back for his sixth season. Uh, also wanted to play this from Sark because I know it's a, on the top of mind of a lot of Longhorn fans, the officiating. Uh, this was uh, this was every every Longhorn fan's favorite officiating crew headed by Kevin uh, Marr. Everybody loves him from the Oklahoma State game a year ago or you know, 15 penalties to nothing. And there were some missed calls here. The review we mentioned earlier took forever. Kind of felt like it was going to not go for Texas when it was a huge play. Uh, but here's Sark. He was asked about that. Uh, and just, you know, I think it was Kirk Bowles of the Statesman who asked him about that play, why it took so long and what his argument was, but also just some calls that aren't going the Longhorns way. But I think Sark has a good, you know, perspective. Well, I was, you know, I, probably visibly though. frustrated at that moment. Um, in the end, I got the timeout back that they did ultimately uh, review the play. Um, and that, you know, Looking at it from their vantage point, I could see maybe where they couldn't see the ball. Uh, it was kind of hidden uh, in there, and Jalen Ford did a heck of a job of, of, of recovering that fumble. Um, it sure seemed like a relatively obvious play to review when you're talking about a potential change of possession. Um, but again, I, that that's why... From my perspective as a coach, they give us the ability to challenge and to use timeouts to, to ensure that. And so you just try to use the the tools that are given to you to navigate your way through those things. You know, um, as far as what's called and what's not, I, you know, a couple things I know this. In my opinion, we have the two most dominant defensive interior linemen in the country, uh, and if if not the country in our conference, and I'm not sure if they've gotten a holding penalty called on either of them yet this year. So I, I'm not sure how that adds up, but I just got to keep getting those guys to play hard and be committed to to trying to affect the game, the run game, the pass game that way. And the same same when we throw the football. I, I mean, I, I I love when I line up and I see one and five out there together. I know they're a problem for our opponents, and so. So uh, I recognize people are going to do things to try to minimize their effectiveness to the game. Um, and, and we're going to take advantage of those opportunities when they're there. If things get called, they get called. If they don't, we just don't have a lot of time to, to, to complain about it. We've got to go on to the next play. And the moment we start getting caught up in that, then it's going to start to affect their play and, and our play to call the things necessary. So. Um, you know, it, it's the way it goes, and and I, I've said this all along. Like, we need to focus on what we need to do, and and not get caught up in what's getting called and what's not. All right, some uh, points without making points, Mike. I mean, uh, uh, the tackles never get holding calls. Uh, Xavier Worthy gets held quite a bit. There's a couple of plays in that game, uh, but I thought Sark, you know, handled it pretty diplomatically. But it does seem. Uh, strange that the best tackle doer we just talked about has zero holding calls uh, on the year, especially Byron Murphy, who's so low to the ground. Seems like he gets horse collared a couple times a quarter and they don't call it. But, you know, if you're a Longhorn fan, the, the Big 12 you're leaving probably couldn't have expected many calls. And the Longhorns have been the beneficiary of a few on their own as well in this season. I wonder, I've always wondered if some of it's like the Shaq thing where like when you're bigger, faster, stronger, maybe the officials don't call some of that stuff. Whereas like when Kelvin Banks, hold somebody it's a little bit more noticeable um but also i've always been of the opinion to to never prescribe uh 
conspiracy to something that can be explained away by incompetence. And when you watch <laughs> college football just across the nation, the officials stink. Like I, here's what I feel bad about. I have no doubt that the Texas that the Big Twelve officials don't necessarily call Texas games that like they do Iowa State or something. I, I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. I just worry that Texas fans think that they're going to get into the SEC and all of a sudden there's never going to be bad calls again or they're going to get every holding call. The SEC officials stink and all of those teams in the SEC complain about them too. Uh, you know, like there's a meme out there about Pac-12 refs. You know, like we watch the NFL. They're awful as well. They're almost full-time employees. Like it's a hard game to officiate uh, and it's just kind of part of the thing. Part of the thing, and the Longhorns found a way. Uh, but uh, good stuff from Sark in our second quarter, presented by our friends at Brain Vault and the Brain Vault Technology. Dr. Greg Eckert, research-based, proven on the field with over 100 NFL players. Let's get a little bit more from our second quarter presenter, Dr. Greg Eckert, uh, and the Brain Vault Technology that your young athlete in collision sports should definitely be checking out. Uh, with Brain Vault in our fourth quarter, uh, Brain Vault has patented technology based on proven science that helps protect young athletes and reduce the risk of concussions. I know sometimes I say that and you're thinking, well, how does that work? How does that happen? Uh, I can read you this from Dr. Greg Eckert, who has been doing rigorous testing with the great people down at uh, Texas State University that have been, been testing this this product of theirs, which is Brain Vault, which is an orthotic. And they just got on Friday some some proven-based uh, research that six, this absolutely works. It is developed technology that, that is used in the NFL. As we told you, Drew Pittman, his partner of over 30 years, an agent in the NFL, has helped Dr. Record here you know, bring this technology to the NFL. And over 100 NFL players have been wearing the Brain Vault technology with no concussions over the last eight years, which is just incredible. And then um, Brain Vault now taking their technology used in the NFL and developed a retail version of their mouth guard. So now your young athlete can have the same level of protection that NFL players have experienced. And all you have to do is go to brainvault.com. You can go learn at the website all about that new research at Texas State. It's proven technology now that works. Uh, it aligns your, your jawline with your, with your neck muscles, and that's all about that moment of impact. Uh, where your jaw is going to clench, your mouth is going to, your teeth are going to clench, and you have to have the right alignment. That's what this is about. It's brainvault.com. Learn more. It's the next level of protection. Get your young athlete fitted in any contact sport, your entire team fitted. Uh, Vandergriff High School here in Austin, Lake Travis, uh, Regents schools all over Central Texas, down into Houston, up into Dallas, are getting all their entire rosters and teams fitted for the Brain Vault technology, and you should too, at brainvault.com. That's brainvault.com. Join the movement to get your fitting set up now. All right, out of our second quarter into halftime, which takes us uh, to a little intermission like they do at the halftime. We're going to get some thoughts on the NFL Longhorns standing out yesterday and in the week nine games. Also, we'll tell you that uh, halftime brought to you by One Source Gas. That's One Source Gas ATX.com. My buddy Richard Strieber will tell you more about him coming up uh, to wrap up halftime. But Nolan, uh, you always compile our NFL stats for our lifetime Longhorns. Who was balling out and uh, who was not over the weekend? Uh, this weekend was pretty stacked with some good games. Right. Um, Deshaun Elliott got to play in Germany this week with the Miami Dolphins. So he had four tackles, three of them being solo. Charles Amenahu was a part of the same game playing on the other side for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, two tackles, one solo, and a QB hit, S starting to be uh, pretty solid in his in his time this year. Uh, Seattle played Baltimore at Baltimore. Quandre Diggs, six tackles, five solo. Devin Duvernay got some action in that game, two receptions for 10 yards. 
Uh, moving on down to Chicago with our Texas backfield and for the Bears, Deontay Foreman had 20 carries for 83 yards. Roshan nice. Johnson had uh, two carries, six yards, and a reception for nine yards. Slow day for, Ro for Rojo. Um, Minnesota, Jordan Hicks playing Atlanta had a huge game, 11 tackles, nine solo, a sack, two tackles for losses, a pass deflection, and a QB hit. So he was all over the backfield last uh, on Sunday, Sunday day. Uh, Taquan Graham got some action for the Atlanta Falcons this week. So uh, one solo tackle, which was the TFL. Uh, Bijan Robinson playing for Atlanta. Another week, another week without a touchdown for Bijan. Uh, 11 carries, 58 yards, and, a re and two receptions for eight yards. And Brennan Schooler capped off the day with the New England Patriots with three tackles, two of them being solo. Jordan Hicks was amazing yesterday. I still can't believe the Vikings won that game with Josh Dobbs, a, a third-string quarterback who just showed up there in a trade deadline trade on Tuesday, and they beat Atlanta. Also understand how Atlanta is not using B. John Robinson more. They get in the red. They drafted him seventh overall, Mike. They get in the red zone, and they take him out. It's like, what would you draft him for? That makes no sense. I mean, you should be running the tires off of this guy. Uh, Arthur Smith is overthinking the game here. It's hard that first year you have Bajon Robinson. Tom Herman went through the same thing. <laughs> it's hard. Football is hard. Winning is hard. Remember Tom Herman had that one. Well, give it to seven, and uh, you might have a better chance. Not Jonu Smith, your tight end. That makes no sense. But uh, they lost that game. That's a that's a that's a crusher. And how about Jordan Hicks everywhere playing great? That's a that's an all pro kind of game right there. Good stuff, Nolan. Hey, Mike uh, uh, and Nolan, you were in the stadium on Saturday to see Ricky Williams. He's already got a distinguished alumni award on Friday night and was there. Uh, I'm assuming your age, your time frame coming through Texas, Ricky, among your favorite all-time Longhorns. Am I right about that? My favorite all-time Longhorn, probably to a fault. Uh, you know, built some habits that I probably wasn't proud of in the high school, <laughs> college time because of Ricky, Ricky Williams and what he enjoyed. Yeah, that was he was my he was my favorite player. I I have uh, the coolest thing I own is uh, one of the gloves he was wearing when he broke the record. He he signed it for me. I have one. My little brother has one. Uh, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun being in the locker room when all that was going down. He's a he's a great dude. And it's fair to say that uh, based on current uh, stances on a lot of those things, he was ahead of his time. Yeah, he was a visionary, a visionary, visionary which is uh, uh, one of the cool side effects of what he was uh, he was doing. Yeah, he was ahead of the curve, and you know if he was in a different time, kind of like Vince Young and he, if they had come into the NFL, you know, ten years later, five, eight years later, who knows, right? The, oh man. If Vince Young gets drafted in 2022 and not by Jeff Fisher, he's he's uh, he's a really good quarterback. <laughs> yeah, well, even you know, it was a as Cam Newton came into the league ten years, you know, five years later, and you know, you know, it, it's it's he, they, he was the head of his time. He was really the first of those guys that was just so big and so athletic, running that zone read and uh, changed football for sure. Ricky Williams, you know, if not for all the uh, the suspensions and all that stuff he fought the NFL with, uh, would be going to the Hall of Fame uh, in the National Football League as well. But, uh, you know, he, he was not going to bow down and made his choices, but just a little ahead of his time. Great to see Ricky in town. Noel, did you get to see any of the uh, ceremony or how did that yeah. go? Or uh, I don't know when they did it. Yeah, I was at it was at halftime. So it was a cool little ceremony. Everybody gave their applause like they do. And it was, it was a good time. It was fun. Cool. All right. Good to see Ricky with the braids and uh, doing his thing. Uh, making a fortune now in the hemp industry and uh, marijuana industry. So doing a good job. Good for Ricky. Uh, all right, so let's uh, remind you that our halftime presentation, uh, halftime little time out there to talk some NFL and a uh, little Longhorn news out, out of it. I would also say in halftime that Longhorn basketball is opening up tonight, right now, uh, like last night. And, uh, you know, Longhorn's getting after it with Rodney Terry against Incarnate Word. Uh, so we, we'll be keeping you posted with some Longhorn hoops as we go forward. But that game is actually being – it's happening right now while we're taping this episode that's going to come out uh, on Tuesday. 
Uh, all right. Uh, our halftime brought to you by One Source Gas of Central Texas. My buddy Richard Strever, who has grown this little company from a small uh, you know, compressed gas company into one of the biggest in the area because they do it better. Here's Richard Strever and the team at One Source Gas. One Source Gas of Austin is your Texas compressed, compressed gas leader. One Source Gas provides compressed gases such as CO2, nitrogen, oxygen, propane, and many more to various industries all through the great state now. Uh, they are your lead CO2 provider if you're in the service industry and bars and restaurants. We're talking about Hayes City Store. They've got all the taps ready to go out there. Uh, restaurants all over Austin, Central Texas, and, and down into San Marcos and beyond. Uh, also the hospitality industry and the medical industry. Very important in the veterinary uh, field and in the medical field. If you need gases daily and weekly, they are your locally owned and operated uh, operation for over 12 years. They understand exceptional customer service is the key when your uh, success is about. That's what you can't do without it, right? So you got to have it. Just make sure it's there all the time. So if you're a bar, restaurant owner, dental office, veterinary clinic, just call One Source Gas or go to their website, onesourcegasatx.com. That's onesourcegasatx.com. They've got your compressed gas needs covered better than anyone. That's why they're growing, because they keep taking business from others who are not serving their customers like they will. Onesourcegasatx.com. Or call them, 214-8484. That's 214-8484. They'll get you all set up. All right, third quarter time. Brought to you by our friends at Hayes City Store and Ice House. And uh, uh, also Taste on Main and Buda. Travis and Tamara Timberl Tindall bringing you both of those great restaurants. Uh, Driftwood in Driftwood. It's the destination location with that scratch, scratch comfort food, uh, live music six nights a week, just the perfect spot for any event. Great sports, great food, amazing atmosphere at Hayes City Store and Ice House. And their new location is different. It's uh, in Buda, and that's uh, down in Main Street in Buda. It's a more of an upscale steak and seafood restaurant. You're going to love both. I'll uh, bring you the third quarter. Hayes City Store and Ice House and Taste on Main. All right, third quarter. Can we hear this uh, uh, thought? And this is probably positive. Here's Sark. He's pretty happy. Was something that happened at practice on Monday morning, Mike, uh, to start our third quarter that uh, may be getting healthy right at the right time, sitting atop the Big 12 Conference. was probably the most encouraging thing for me today. Everybody practiced. That was awesome. <laughs> we, we've gone about a month now or so where – Certain guys have been out. Certain guys have been limited. Um, the beauty of today's practice, everybody was out there. Catalan was back out there. Crawford was out there. Um, Kelvin was out there. Christian Jones was out there. Uh, so that was real positive. Um, naturally, as the week goes on, we're going to have to monitor all these guys and, and figure out, you know, who can really contribute to the game and then how much and, and what is that going to look like. But for a Monday, for them all to be out there today was really, really encouraging for me. All right, Mike, your thoughts on that. There's uh, the Longhorns with uh, everybody practicing. That's, you know, are they all going to play on Saturday? Probably not. But at least with three to go and um, you know, three very important games to, to set yourself up for a run at a championship, to have everybody back out there, I'm sure, is uh, – it's a good thing they're going to have a little bit of fresh legs if they're getting healthy, and then all of a sudden they haven't taken the wear and tear of the last you know month to three weeks of the season. Yeah, it helps with depth as well. It helps on special teams in the third, fourth quarter. Uh, like we saw against Kansas State, you have a few extra bodies in there. All of a sudden, you you know you play 10 fewer snaps per person, and that can be an advantage. So uh, that's great news, and it means that you know maybe in a week or two, you know they're back to as close to full strength as any team can be this late in the year. All right, Mike uh, Craven, I, I want to play this one for you from Sark about TCU. And here's Mark, uh, Sark talk about how poorly they played last year in the game. Remember, that was a, a game coming off a win at K-State. They came home. It was a 
you know, primetime game. College game day was in town. It was a huge one. Sonny Dykes and his team were on this magical ride. Longhorns had a chance to derail it. And um, here's Sark. He, he remembers that game and uh, wants his team to think about it and make amends for it uh, when they go up to Fort Worth on Saturday. Great poise, great composure, um, and that that we understand we're built for for the arena. You know, we're built for the environment, and naturally too, I think for our players, we didn't play very good against them last year. You know, and you turn that tape on, um, they had a really good football team like they do this year, um, but man, we just we didn't put our best foot forward a year ago, and we made some really uncharacteristic errors um, that I think a lot of the guys on our team would like to. Um, Kind of, you know, man, I want I want to go show them what I'm actually capable of and the way that I can really play, and so that's something that uh, I know the guys are looking forward to as well. All right, a little revenge game, Mike, and uh, you've seen TCU. That game's been announced as a 6:30 kick. I also say here in the Eyes on Texas that the next three games are primetime games. The Longhorns are going to finish the season at night. They play 6:30 this week up there at uh, Fort Worth, and they're going to play the Iowa State game has been announced at seven o'clock at night on Fox and Ames, and then. We know the, the Black Friday game with Texas Tech uh, after Thanksgiving will be also 6.30. So primetime Longhorns coming your way. That's what happens when you make it into the top 10. But real quick, your thoughts on the Longhorns in this matchup with TCU. I know you've seen, you know, Sonny Dykes and his team. You wrote the cover story on Sonny for Dave Campbell's Texas football. You know this program pretty darn well. What have been their issues? Uh, what challenges they can, can they present to Texas coming in at four and five? Well, their issues have just been kind of talent and youth, right? I mean, you lose eight NFL draft picks from, from a, a roster like TCU, you're going to take a step back. They're not Georgia or Texas or Ohio State or Clemson where they can replace that type of talent level. They were always going to take a step back. It was just a matter of how big. They were 7-1 and one in one-possession games last year. They had a Heisman runner-up at, at quarterback. All of a sudden this year they're 0-3 or maybe 0-4 in one-possession games because they have – some youth at quarterback. They're, they're starting quarterbacks, a redshirt freshman who didn't start until midway through the season. So it's an inexperienced team that doesn't do the little things all that correctly. They, you know, they make a lot of mistakes, a lot of self-inflicted errors. They threw some interceptions uh, in the road loss against Texas Tech. On the flip side, though, it's going to be a huge game for them. This is, they, they're going to be up for this one, right? Uh, Sonny Dykes is 3-0 and as a head coach against Texas. He won the game at TCU. He won twice, even when they weren't very good at Cal. He had some bad Cal teams beat Texas when he was the head coach out there. He was also on the TCU staff in 2017 as an analyst that beat the Longhorns. His dad was an assistant coach at Texas. He spent a lot of his years in Austin. He's been on right. I mean, it's his dream job, right? Like he, he, he's always wanted to be the head coach of the university of Texas, depending on who you believe there was a, there was a little bit of back and forth on who was going to get the job between him and Sark when it was open the last time. And so I know it's a big game for TCU. You know, it's the last time Texas is playing all these teams. We talked about it going into the Baylor game and it didn't end up mattering than that one, right? Because Texas was much better than Baylor. This one feels similar. This, the, the crowd's going to be big. The team's going to be up the first quarter. TCU is going to try to do a bunch of different stuff and, and, and catch Texas off guard. But if they can weather that storm and avoid the, the mistakes we talked about earlier, Texas is much better than this Horn Frog teams, and they should win uh, pretty easily because of their advantages in the trenches. Early nine and a half, ten point favorite for the Longhorns, and we'll certainly drop our uh, full preview matchups, offense to defense, defense to offense, all of it coming up on Friday with our second edition of the week with the uh, biweekly multicast. Uh, but Mike uh, Josh Hoover, real quick, uh, you know Sunny Dykes gone to him. Is Chandler Morris? Is there a chance he comes back, or is this Josh, Josh Hoover, the youngster from the Metroplex? There is this his job? I think it is his job, but Morris is getting healthier. He was listed on the two deep this week. Sonny was 
uh, kind of like with Quinn, but a little bit more optimistic kind of day to day, going to see how it goes as long as he can handle the pain. He's at least there in some capacity, uh, but I don't think he's going to be the starter unless some things happen during the week uh, that are unforeseen. All right, we'll get our final four coming up, Mike, in our fourth quarter. But uh, your thoughts on the Big 12 separating a little bit. We called it separation Saturday. Uh, we had the matchups of four and one teams. Texas and Oklahoma State come out on top. Iowa State was four and one, part of that five-way tie. They took the loss at home to Kansas, so they dropped back. And right now it's Texas and Oak State, um, you know, uh, as the clear front runners now to get to Arlington. And Mike Gundy doing a heck of a job. Longhorns are right where they want to be. They now have their, their destiny in their control with three weeks to play. Yeah, Mike Gundy is not only in Big 12 Coach of the Year, almost lock situation, but he may be the National Coach of the Year. It's been an incredible job what happened there. I mean, Oklahoma State lost a lot of talent to the transfer portal after that last year. It felt like a mass exodus. People were wondering if this was going to be the last year for, for Gundy and if modern college football with NIL and the portal had passed him by. You look up at the start of November – and uh, he kind of got the monkey off his back there by beating Oklahoma, which awesome for Oklahoma State, by the way, to be able to ride off into the sunset of Bedlam um, with the last win a- against the Sooners. And he is in position to get to the P- Big 12 championship game. And I would imagine only beating Oklahoma could top uh, the the chance of knocking off Texas to win kind of their last final chance at a Big 12 championship and keep the Longhorns from kind of going to the college football playoff. He's one of the best coaches, ball coaches, right? He may not play the game like everybody does. It kind of reminds me of Mike Leach a little bit. He just does it his own way. You know, the fans, even in his own fan base, get a little frustrated with him. Um, but at the same time, like Mike Leach proved to Tech, who else are you going to get uh, to come to Lubbock or Stillwater that's going to win at that level and that consistently? Uh, they do it their own way. but uh, And don't apologize for it. Uh, I would say if you're Texas, you when the schedule came out, it's like, oh, we don't have to face Mike Gundy in our final year in the Big 12. Well, you might just have to. And it might be for a championship. As we heard from Sark talking about that rush defense and how good they are, Ollie Gordon is the key, right? Ollie Gordon has been the best running back in the country the last five, six weeks. Longhorns would match up favorably with that. But at the same time, Mike Gundy has had the Longhorns number uh, over the time here. So uh, fun run to the to the, to, uh, to the championship. Longhorns and Oak State in control right now. We'll come back. We'll hit our final four. Uh, the four big questions we haven't talked about yet over our uh, you know, latest edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast presented by Grande Equipment. Our third quarter presented by Hayes City Store and Ice House. Let's hear more about Travis Tindall and the great team at Hayes City Store and Ice House. It's delivered by the incredible Scratch Food and amazing times at Hayes City Store and Ice House in Driftwood, Texas. Hayes City Store ready to serve you and your family every day of the week. They are the total package when it comes to a destination location or just a night out. They offer seating inside in the original store and uh, bar and kitchen with the air conditioning or on the picnic tables, on the turf, under the gorgeous canopy of oak, uh, Hill Country Oak Trees, live right near the live music stage where they feature great music six nights a week. Also, you can go where I go all the time into the adjacent covered, incredibly comfortable ice house and sports bar uh, and you just enjoy the uh, famous now uh, scratch texas comfort food wood-fired pizzas house ground burgers the best wings if you love wings you're gonna love their wings they're unbelievable uh they smoke them first and then give them a little little deep they're just tremendous uh, they got the wood-fired pizzas I mentioned, house ground burgers, chicken fried steak, truck stop enchiladas, plus a full bar, great margaritas, and over 53 beers on tap and so much more. Great for a night out with the lady or a bigger group with a big birthday or anniversary or graduation. It's 8989 FM 150 in Driftwood. That's Hayes City Store and Ice House. The complete mouthwatering menu is online at HayesCityStoreTX.com.
All right, guys, uh, one more quarter. Let's wrap this thing up with the fourth quarter brought to you by Dr. Greg Eckert, my dentist. Absolutely love him with the work he's done. He's restored over a thousand cases here in Austin, 27 years in Austin. He's the best dentist. Uh, if you need some uh, new smile repair and uh, getting getting all turned around, whether it's uh, the restor restoration like I did or the permanently secured dental implants, call him and talk to him. You'll hear more about him coming up uh, at the end of our fourth quarter. But Mike, big, big, big stories outside. Uh, I will say the biggest story with college football today, this Monday, as we record and drop it on a Tuesday, was uh, USC finally pulled the plug on Alex Grinch after giving up 52 more points and over 300 yards rushing to Washington in L.A. on Saturday. Uh, Lincoln Riley, whether begrudgingly or not, he fired Alex Grinch and Seems like it should have happened sooner, but uh, uh, USC's fallen off the map, and uh, Alex Grinch is out. Alex Grinch out. Had to happen. You know, even if the root problems are more Lincoln Riley and his practice system and kind of how he runs his program, you cannot have games. Where your offense scores all those points, Caleb Williams plays excellent, and you're about to waste the best quarterback in college football for the second straight year because your defense can't stop anybody. Like, it didn't really feel like USC started playing defense until Washington had already gained five yards. Like, it's just embarrassing, really bad. If they could just be a top 50 defense, they're probably in the college football playoff once, maybe twice in two years under him. But they've been so bad, they have no chance. Well, in the sad part, you mentioned the uh, bigger systemic issue with Lincoln Riley. You know, we're seeing the record down at AM, and and we'll talk about Jimbo Fisher in the latest loss. But, you know, Jimbo Fisher's record versus Kevin Sumlin, you know, you know, Lincoln Riley, the savior, his record against Clay Helton is is lesser than right now over their you know same number of games to start a career so and start a coaching tenure at USC. So it's a bigger picture. And yeah, Caleb Williams has got better stats this year than he had last year, but they can't stop anybody. Really gives you no chance to win football games. Uh, and that's that's Lincoln Riley, right? He comes from that air raid system. Uh, he's more Mike Leach than he is Bob Stoops. That's pretty clear. I mean, he's more all offense, no defense, then then that's what, what I always thought was the best thing about Mike, Mike uh, about Bob Stoops. He was the best at bringing that air raid, instituting it into the Big 12, but also keeping a hard-nosed defense, still being able to play both sides of the ball, bringing those Youngstown, Ohio roots, and uh, just, you know, Iowa football. Um, but it's, it's tough. You know, if you don't practice top physical, you're not going to be physical. And uh, Lincoln Riley, I think, is succumbing to that. What do you make of uh, Jimbo Fisher? Oh, by the way, on the Mike Gundy discussion we had in our third quarter, congratulations to Coach Gundy. His 100th career Big 12 win on Saturday, none bigger than winning the final Bedlam. 100 wins, the only Big 12 coaches over the, its history to have 100 conference wins. Mike Gundy, Bob Stoops, and Bill Snyder. Uh, so congrats to Mike Gundy. But uh, your thoughts on what's happened at A&M? They lose to Ole Miss uh, in a good game, but still another loss. That's nine straight road losses in the SEC for Jimbo Fisher. This thing is going to come to an end. It, it just feels like it has to. You do also, Mike, a and podcast, I know, with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You're part of that. What's the word out of Aggieland? Yeah, it's kind of doom and gloom. You know, I mean, they're 5-10 and 10 in their last 15 against FBS opponent, opponents. You mentioned the, the road uh, record. They haven't won a road game, a true road game, since October of 2021 when they beat Mizzou. Um, and if they don't beat LSU at the end of the year, even if they win the next two, I mean, they're 7-5. and five. And before the year – I was pretty much told that he had to get to eight wins, you know, and I do think if they went out, if they were able to pull that upset against LSU and finish eight and four, that, that Jimbo would get 24. Uh, but if they don't, I, I think there's a real conversation to be had. And, and this is why you look at the $67 million price tag and you go, that's insane. Nobody could buy that out. But unless you think Jimbo Fisher is going to be your head coach in 2025, this is not a 67 million or $76 million decision. This is a $9 million decision because that's all you're saving by keeping him around for one more year. 
I don't think many people believe Jimbo is the long-term answer anymore. And if he's not, and you're just trying to pinch some pennies and, and try to lower this buyout by a year or two by holding on, you're holding hostage a program that has a lot of money for nine or $10 million. I just don't see it happening. I think if he loses to LSU, it's over and they go try to get a Mike Elko or a Jeff trailer or, you know, somebody along those lines. And you'll probably hear the name Urban Meyer as well when it comes down to that. But uh, yeah, you got to buy fair, it out. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not working. It's just not working. And uh, it's not getting better. It's it's mediocre football for a high price. And you, your point is spot on if you wait till next year. And it's also mentioned the critical timing, right? You got OU and Texas joining the conference. Recruiting matters. You're not developing players. You're not winning games. Texas would walk into the SEC as the it program as far as recruits in the state of Texas go. Certainly not Texas A&M. And that would be a pretty big flip. Uh, from the last several years. And of course, AM had a 10 year head start and Texas into the SEC. And the Longhorns would still be coming in, maybe off of a Big 12 championship, maybe a trip to the college football playoff. With that in mind, uh, Mike, big picture, you expect anything to change tomorrow night uh, or tonight? If you're watching this on a Tuesday, uh, the playoff rankings will be out. Um, you know, nothing changed to the top nine in the AP poll coming out of this week. Do you think anything changes this week at all, or is it going to go as chalk? I think it'll be pretty much chalk for for the top nine, the top 10. Not a lot of upsets. You know, I saw some, I think Bud Elliott had, you know, where there's only been two upsets uh, or two double-digit upsets in the top 10. So a lot of chalk so far. I think we're going to have a lot of movement over the next three weeks. But I think the front, the first seven, first eight look pretty much the same as they did last week. Well, let's not forget there's some big games this weekend. You've got uh, Penn State and Michigan. Uh, huge game, obviously, with all this going on at Michigan. They're going to play at Penn State. Uh, James Franklin, another chance to win one of those big ball games. Uh, there's some pretty big matchups at the top. I think uh, Utah plays Washington uh, this weekend. Oregon plays uh, somebody big. So there's some pretty big matchups uh, coming your way in the uh, Ole Miss and Alabama. Ole Miss and Alabama. Uh, you know, Crimson Tide are sitting at number seven or eight right now. Ole Miss is a top 10 team. They just beat AM. That'll be a huge game in the SEC West. So uh, we'll preview those games more coming up on our second edition of the Eyes on Texas Multicast. Anything uh, percolating in your brain, Mike, about uh, college football and the final four thoughts or? Uh, and where are you headed th this week as far as your travel plans? I'm pretty Texas-centric. I don't know. I mean, for anybody watching on YouTube today, I have looked distracted a few times, and that is because it's who is getting fired season. So I am just on my phone for about 24 hours a day, sometimes longer, uh, texting different coaches and ADs and, and people to try to see who's going and who's staying. The state of Texas could have at least three uh, coaches get fired, I, I would think. You know, what's going to happen uh, and Baylor, you know, I thought Houston was that Houston Baylor game was one where the loser was going to have some rumors started about it. UTEP obviously um, has struggled. So for me, it's just that time of year where you start kind of trying to chase down as many of these uh, coaching rumors as possible, because as we know, over the last couple of cycles, people want to start it earlier and earlier uh, and get a jump start on the coaching search. So uh, that's yeah. kind of where most of my uh, energy is. And then I will be uh at tcu texas this weekend because it's on saturday but for the book tour i got lucky here smu's playing north texas on friday so i'm going to go up friday do my smu stop for the book tour the next day go to tcu texas and then come home awesome awesome uh looking forward to that so you get to do two games this week two games, uh, we'll two games. get up to the metroplex and uh you were up at the utsa north texas game which you told us was one of the better rivalries in the Sun Belt and in that level of football, not the Sun Belt, but in that level. And uh, all roadrunners in that game against uh, the Mean Green in Denton on Saturday, it looked like I just saw the score. 
Yeah, 37-29 UTSA uh, kind of crushed them in the first half. North Texas made it interesting, and that's kind of been the mean green thing. They've lost three in a row, Memphis, Tulane, UTSA, which are, are really good G5 football teams. And they've all been one-possession games that they were able to kind of catch up in after digging themselves a hole. I think Eric Morris is going to turn around North Texas up there. They've lost six games this year. Uh, five of them have been one possession. Those tend to kind of you know, get back to the odds, become 50-50 games over time. So I think North Texas uh, long-term is going to be good. Uh, but UTSA, 24-3 and in conference play under Jeff Trailer, won 15 straight conference games. Uh, it's pretty cool to be a Roadrunners fan right now. And an alumnus. You might want to go ahead and uh, pencil him in a and We'll see. We'll see if the Aggies make a move. Also, Baylor could come open, as you mentioned, Houston, UTEP around the state of Texas. All right, that's going to do it. That's our four quarters of uh, Longhorn Conversation, the Eyes on Texas multicast, keeping you on top of all things Longhorns. We're from Steve Sarkeesian, heard the highlights. Thank you to our digital editor and producer, Nolan Hogan. Also, our editor himself, our executive producer, Griffin Hogan. We'll put this thing all together and get it out to you. Uh, also, want to thank... Uh, our friends at Dave Campbell's Texas football and their YouTube page and that uh, Republic of Texas football channel and all the podcasts they do also the horn in Austin. And of course our presenting partners at Grande equipment and our founding partners who help us each and every week, Carlos carry on the Texas mortgage guy, Hey city store in driftwood, one source gas in central Texas and Dr. Greg Eckert, my dentist and his brain vault technology of course, powered by those folks. Also for the multicast that keeps you on top of all things, Texas football, I have another edition coming out on Friday. Uh, watch weekly on the Dave Campbell's and the Horn and Austin YouTube channels. It'll for download through iTunes and Spotify or wherever you find your favorite podcast. Mike, we will talk on Thursday, my friend. Absolutely, sir. Talk to you then. Nolan, thank you. Griffin, appreciate it. We'll talk uh, for our new episode on Friday.